Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to call on the spirits to gather around us here today to tend the proceedings. I call out to the ancestors to be with us here today, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful to guide us, teach us, and to help us to heal. It is the job of the ancestors to remember. It is a job of the living to heal, to change, to transform, and to move on. And it is the task of the living to reach back to the ancestors, to ask, so that we don't repeat their mistakes. It is their job to remember and to guide us that we might go forward with the wisdom of those who have gone before us and do what has not yet been done where it is needed and to repeat that which was oh so very successful where it was. So we give thanks to these ancestors and the legacy they bring to us. We give thanks to them for it is on their shoulders that we stand. We give thanks for them for dreaming of a future for without that dream we would not be here and may they guide us in dreaming of a future worthy of our descendants. We call out to the energy of the earth and we thank this great being for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we know it to this planet. Life is a precious miracle and may we live this day as a part of that miracle. We give thanks for groundedness, for physical form, for manifestation, for interconnection and connection and for knowing that we belong here and for this opportunity to walk on this beautiful earth and to bring our gifts to the world. This is a This is a magnificent miracle, and we give thanks for all that has brought us to this moment in our life, for all that is and all that will be, and we have great gratitude to the earth for all of this. And as we stand our feet firmly planted on the earth with the ancestors gathered around, we reach up through our hearts and minds and our vision all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name we call this energy, we call it down into ourselves, into our circle here today, into these proceedings to bring us inspiration and illumination, blessings and generosity. Let us know the benevolence of our universe through this time here together and let us feel protected that we might hear what we need to hear and that we might say what needs to be said. Let the energies of the earth and the sky come together within each one of us as we listen here today. Let these energies merge to the exact perfect balance that helps us to do what the day calls out of us. And from this place of balance and wholeness, let us call out to the energy of the heart, the heart that has that special ability to blend the fiery passions of the belly that hold why you are here, that hold the blueprint, the code of your soul's true purpose, and to draw those up into the heart where they can be met by the clarity and wisdom and inspiration and creativity, the innovation of the mind that gets drawn down. And as these energies are merged in the heart, and only in the heart, but as they are merged in the heart, they become the direction, the path, the Tao, the way, the way for you to walk to bring your soul's true purpose into full manifestation in this life and to give your gifts to the world while you're still young enough to enjoy the fruits of that labor. So with all of the spirits called in, we give thanks today. Our topic today is the small sacred things. And so I give very special thanks to all of you listeners who have donated to keep the show on the air. 
If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, know that you are now able to easily donate any amount of money to express that exchange of energy. Gratitude and reciprocity are fundamental. It is one of the many small things that feed the sacred. And without it, without that flow of gratitude and reciprocity, the ability to give thanks and to exchange energy for the simple small things in life, without that movement flowing, all else stops, gets backed up behind it. So this, this willingness to express our gratitude and to be in a reciprocal relationship with the things that have heart and meaning in our life, it's one of the many small things, small acts, that feed the sacred. And this is the topic of the show today, the small acts that feed the sacred, the small things that acknowledge the love and the things in life that have heart and meaning. So if you feel moved at any time by any show you are listening to, you can go to the whyshamanismnow.com show site and just click on the support button. Every dollar goes directly to keeping the show on the air, and you don't even have to have a PayPal account to use it. Um, just go ahead and express whatever you feel moved to. Every single dollar does go to keeping the show on the air. So today's show is, as I've said now, the small sacred things. So as I journeyed to ask my helping spirits what we should talk about today, what about small sacred things we should talk about, they said that the things that are sacred or anything, that which is sacred, possesses within it the mystery. By that they mean the great mystery. So within everything, within all that is sacred, is the mystery. This means that sacred things, acts, moments are the things, acts, and moments that contain the mystery, no matter how large or how small. So what this means then is to be open to the sacred, we must be open to the mystery. We must be open to the unknown. We must, in fact, be open to the unknowable, to the Tao. So what this means is that we must open our hearts and surrender to what we don't understand and may not even think we want in our life. So you may be wondering, why would I bother then? If I've got to be in relationship with the mystery and the unknown, my life already feels out of control and overwhelming, why would I bother? Why should I bother to connect with this thing that I already know I can't control? What is the point of the sacred in my everyday life? It is already overwhelming, overstimulated, and out of my control. Why bother? Because your soul needs it. You can lose the path to your soul. I have seen it in sane people and in functionally insane people. We are infinitely creative in our ability to step off our path. We can lose the path to our passion. We can lose the path to our heart. We can lose the path to the adventurer within us. And we can lose the path to our soul. We can lose all these paths in many, many ways. Your soul is not a given. It is shaped by the choices you make in this life. Reincarnation does not mean do-over, like a video game, where what you did um, 
what you just did doesn't matter unless you save it because it was your highest score. What you do in this life, every small act, what you do in this life and what you don't do shapes your soul. Your soul, like all aspects of who you are, needs nourishment. It needs exercise. It needs rest and restoration. And your soul needs to be heard. So why bother with the sacred? Why connect to the sacred? Because your soul needs it. Your soul needs to connect with the invisible, with the sacred. It needs it because that is what nourishes your soul. And to feed the invisible, to feed the sacred, is to feed spirit in the largest sense, which is to feed your spirit in your personal sense, which nourishes your soul. And so the overwhelm of life can be made manageable, not because the overwhelm changes, but you can step into the eye of that storm when you are in good relationship with your soul. The overstimulation and excess information of a contemporary life, the distraction, it falls away when you are in right relationship with your soul. It doesn't um, have anything to stick to. You become unseducible. You are not engaged in your free-floating anxiety, which is only enhanced by your disconnection from soul. But that free-floating anxiety disperses. All that distraction disperses when you focus in on your soul. And, you know, I can hear everybody going, man, but that's so boring. I hated church. Well, you know what? Your soul is not church. Your soul is not boring. Your soul carries the blueprint, the code for why you're here. It is the one thing you have true passion for, true, endless, undying, fierce passion for. Your soul, ladies and gentlemen, is not boring. You are. Maybe. I mean, you're not necessarily boring. But that's my point. Your soul isn't boring. You've become boring. And if you're afraid of your soul, that's just an argument that the soul is boring. The soul is fascinating and endless. It connects you to the great soul of all things. So, yeah, it's worth doing the small things that feed the sacred. Because the sacred nourishes your soul. And your soul nourishes the great big source of all things. And that comes back around and nourishes you. So yeah, it's worth it. So every act in which we tend the sacred, no matter how small or humble, feeds the soul, you and the big source. It's all ultimately the same. From the Tao Te Ching, there is a translation here by Stephen Mitchell. The Tao is like a well. Used but never used up. It is like the eternal void, filled with infinite possibilities. It is hidden, but always present. I don't know who gave birth to it. It is older than God. The Tao is like a well, used but never used up. 
It is like the eternal void filled with infinite possibilities. So this is what we begin to talk about when we talk about the sacred as these things that are filled with the great mystery. We talk about things that are used but never used up, filled with infinite possibilities, unnameable, unknowable, yet present in our lives and available for us to be in relationship with. So think of the small acts in your life that feed the sacred. So if I think about my day, when I wake, one of the first acts that feed the sacred in my life is I greet my lover in the morning with a vulnerable heart, with an open heart, so that I can feel the great love of the universe moving through his heart and that those hearts can connect in the morning and have that moment of vastness in our personal space. And I give thanks for the day. I give thanks to him for the love and for the opportunity to love him. And to give thanks for the wonder of that. It's a very small act. It takes much less time to do than to explain. So the small act of bowing into the space that I do my practice in. The small act of bowing to the ancestors who hold the wisdom of that lineage. Lighting the candle on my altar with a prayer. And a blessing, sometimes silent, sometimes spoken. But nonetheless, the flame is there holding that prayer and blessing. The flowers of the offerings, the conversation with my ancestors at my ancestral altar. Giving prayers, asking for help. And frankly, every morning, I give thanks for hot running water. I say a prayer in that shower to the elemental, the element of water, and to the spirit of the sea, you know, the great Pacific Ocean out here that is so present, even though we're on the other side of the mountain range. I've been in a lot of places in life where there wasn't any hot running water. And I've been in places where there was hot running water, but I couldn't get to it because I was too poor or too dislocated. And so every morning that I get to stand in a hot shower I give thanks for the sacredness of water and the fire that heats it and the ocean and all the whole experience of life, of water from which we came. I just give thanks. And again, it takes way longer to explain it than to do it. But I personally give thanks. I believe in the sacredness of hot running water. And then I give gratitude for the bounty that is my breakfast. I love breakfast. I can actually, you know, get pretty distracted about all the other meals of the day, but breakfast, mm, give thanks to start that day with that beautiful bounty. So all these small acts of gratitude, expressing that, that reciprocity, these things move me, and so I express that movement in my heart and to give gratitude this exchange with all of these things of my life that's my morning and I haven't even gotten into the day yet all these moments of acknowledging that which is a mystery to me that my life is filled with these miracles is a mystery to me and I acknowledge that and I give thanks for the mystery I don't want a world I completely understand 
that would be too small. So to honor the sacred, to give thanks in these small acts throughout the day is a way to honor that great mystery and the vastness of life that you have not yet lived into. That this is exciting and is this perspective, this attitude, this stance from which we can stand in the hailstorm of contemporary life I can't imagine a life better designed to distract us from what matters and not get distracted, not get anxious, not go off in the wrong direction, but to stand here breathing in, breathing out, grounded into the earth and into my heart and into my day and say thank you. What an adventure. So these are the small things, and yet each of these acts can connect you to that which abides, that which matters, to the true energies in life, and help you to stay plugged in to the true energies and not ride on the energies of the culture, like media, um, caffeine, uh, who who knows, whatever else, attraction, uh, rejection, drama, all of these energies that are so um, fragmenting. But these small acts of connecting with the sacredness and things help us to stay connected to that which abides, that which is real. And each act then um, connects me through my attention and gratitude to those real energies so they do not get lost in those infinite distractions of the day. What? You say, listening to all of this, you have no moments of honoring the sacred in your day? What are you to do listening to this show, realizing you don't know where to begin? Well, where would you begin if you hadn't even thought of sacred in your contemporary life? Where do you start? You've got kids. You've got a job. You've got an ailing parent. You um, are challenged financially right now. Um... Your partner is thinking about taking on a second job and you wonder, what is this crazy woman talking about? Where do I have time? Where do I even begin to honor the sacred in the day? This is my suggestion. There are a hundred answers to that question, but this is my suggestion for today. Look for beauty around you in anything or anyone. Look for it. Look for the beauty around you. Notice it. Then notice your response to the beauty. This is a little bit of a process here. So you look for the beauty around you in anything or anyone, any moment, any glimmer of light on um, a cornice uh, in the city or the web of a spider the blossom of a flower, who knows what. Just look for the beauty. It's everywhere. Notice it. Then notice your response to beauty. Do you feel an attraction to it and you want to grasp it or own it? Uh, Do you send a critical thought out that immediately takes that beauty down a notch? So, for example, you see a person walking by that just looks fabulous. The whole outfit, the whole everything, it's all working and it looks great. 
what do you think? Do you, do you think a thought that just takes that whole thing down a notch? Oh, well, she probably bought that suit at Ross. Or when you see beauty, do you send out a critical thought to yourself that distances you from that beauty because you supposedly don't have that beauty inside? So you see that person all pulled together looking fabulous and you think, I'm too fat for that. I'm too short for that. I'm too whatever for that. So the first thing to notice is where do you go? Where does your mind go? When you truly see beauty in your life. See, when I first moved to New York, you know, I had gone from working a corporate job. It was the only real corporate job I ever had. But the nature of it at that time, you know, I was kind of right out of college. And I made twice enough money. I mean, it was a time in my life where I paid all my bills with one check and I got paid twice a month. So I had this other check and I just stuck it in the bank. And it was a wonderful, bountiful way to live. And then I quit that work and went back to dancing and moved to New York. And, um, oh, a whole bunch of stuff happened, but it basically amounted to the fact that they didn't even pay me what I had earned the year prior before I left. And so it all um, got very challenging very fast. So here I am. I'm in Manhattan. Um, I'm suddenly poor. I don't really know why I'm there other than the fact that I'm following some crazy ideas that I have. And I don't have a job, and I don't know how I'm going to survive. And I'm trying to dance, which means I'm being judged every single day by myself and others. And all I can see in New York City, having come from Oregon and California, is ugliness and smelliness and disgusting things and... um, Everything around me that's beautiful is something I can't afford. And, and it was very challenging in the beginning because, of course, there was lots of stuff going on in the invisible world too. But let's just stick with the physical. So because we're on this theme here of how do you begin to truly see beauty. So here I am in New York City. I'm living in it and it is so challenging because all I see is what is awful, what is hurtful to my eyes, my ears, my nose. I'm pained in my heart. I'm afraid because I don't have any money. I don't know how I'm going to survive. And everything around me that is remotely beautiful is something I can't possibly afford. And it's a horrible state to be in. And I finally realized I couldn't do anything about any of that. I couldn't clean up New York personally by myself, you know. And frankly, I couldn't change my financial situation that fast either. So I said, you know what? You have got to change your attitude. You have got to see this reality differently or you're going to kill yourself. And so I thought about the environments that I loved that I have loved in my life. There's, I mean, I grew up in Oregon, for goodness sakes. There's forests and beautiful environments everywhere. Um, ocean environments, Hawaii, um, all these places that I have been that I loved. And even some urban environments, some really beautiful places in Europe, um, artwork, uh, just all these places, all these different environments. And I started realizing how many different environments were beautiful. I had seen beauty in. And it finally struck me that I needed just to think about New York as a unique environment to explore without judgment the way one does when they're on vacation. Instead of treating New York like this place 
that was impossible that I couldn't possibly figure out how to survive in because it was everyday life to treat it as if it was a holiday and to see it as a great adventure and to look at New York City as a unique new environment that I had never been in before. And I started seeing that all that junk on the street was actually stuff people brought out of their apartment to recycle. And hey, look at that mirror. I could use that. You know, I started recognizing what was really going on. That so much of what seems ugly about New York is this great grand recycling process that's happening on all these different levels. And I started noticing the beauty in New York itself. And I started seeing all of those windows filled with such amazing things that I couldn't possibly afford. I still couldn't possibly afford them. But I started seeing them as if they were flowers or plants in some exotic environment. You can't pick those flowers either. What was the difference? And I really challenged myself to see the beauty in this new environment in which I lived. And it was not very long before I found that all of the stress and the depression and the negative energy that was coming from my attitude about how I was seeing the environment that I was in, thinking it was real because I really didn't have any money and New York really does have some dirty, ugly, smelly places, right? I thought it was real. But the truth is it was all created in my own mind. And so I came to be able to see the beauty in the environment of New York. Now, at the time, I didn't understand about the sacred, but at least I understood or learned from that experience that I could change my relationship with the beauty in my environment. So this is what I'm talking you through then in terms of your question. So where do I begin to honor the sacred in my day? Start with beauty. And the first thing you need to open is your own heart to that beauty. And that's what I was able to do with New York City, was to open to the beauty of the environment, to not want it or need it to be something other than what it was, and to appreciate what it is. And it's incredible. Um, And so first, you um, work with that until you can notice the beauty and open your heart to it. And once the path is open, then you would begin to give thanks for that beauty. You know, I didn't quite know that back then in New York, but that's the way I would see it now. Is once that path is open, then you give thanks for that beauty. And when you give thanks for that beauty, give thanks for how that beauty reflects your own beauty with inside you. And so you're honoring the sacredness, the beauty outside of you and within you. And then the next step, that next small step would be to give an offering to nourish your relationship with that beauty. And so this is the way your relationship with the sacredness in all things could begin if you just began with the beauty that is already naturally present in your environment to give thanks for it, to acknowledge and give thanks for the beauty that it reflects in you, and ultimately begin 
to have that gesture, that physical gesture here manifest in the physical world of leaving an offering to nourish that beauty. Um, there's a long period of time in my life where I carried a little tiny pouch of tobacco, you know, loose tobacco in my pocket. And so I would leave just a little tiny pinch of tobacco wherever it was that I noticed the beauty and appreciated the beauty. I would just leave this little pinch of tobacco. Tobacco is a very traditional offering in pretty much any culture that has tobacco growing um, indigenous to their own environment. There is a an energy in that plant um, that makes it right for sacred offering. But it's certainly not the only thing. And when in doubt, offer a song, offer a prayer, offer breath. There is always something you can offer to acknowledge the beauty and the sacredness around you in a small way. Now, on this topic of the small sacred things, I want to talk a little bit about what I see in people's contemporary shamanic practices. And this is what I call understanding the difference between what is sacred and what is precious. So precious things are things of high price or great value. They are costly. They are things we hold dear, hold a dear or fond affection for. Um, In relation to precious things, we can be dainty, over-refined, or fastidious. While the sacred is also highly valued and important, it is above cost or price. It is venerable and entitled to respect. I find today that as practitioners, um, we no longer go the distance to venerate or respect what it is that we are doing. Precious seems good enough. It's not. Take my word for it. Precious is not good enough. The sacred is not touched by fond affection or fastidious attention to forms without awareness of intent or understanding of function. The sacred is not touched by being precious about it. The sacredness Have you ever had a bad kiss? Here you are, you're having a great time, male or female, gay or straight, I don't care what it is. You're having a great time. You're talking, you're relating, the energy's moving, your passion's rising, their passion's rising. Everything is great and then you have this limp, uninteresting kiss. And the whole thing just goes, right? Being precious about your practice, all fastidious about the details and and worried about memorization and doing it all right, being fastidious and precious about your practices is like one of those limp-ass kisses. It's just nowhere near good enough to meet the energy that is being generated through your shamanic practice. If you are calling out to the sacred and calling out to the essence energies to be present with you in your work, step up and show respect and venerate. Uh, Be devoted to that energy. Grab it. You know, it's the equivalent of this huge, passionate kiss and hug with your full body 
That's what the sacred is looking for in your shamanic practice. So no, preciousness is not enough. The sacred is not touched by fond affection or fastidious attention to forms without awareness of intent or understanding of function. We must show up in our shamanic practices with devotion. We must be devoted to understanding why the forms are as they are. And we must respect the old ways. We must fully and completely understand all of this to change things well when that change is called for. We must make these changes with the sure knowledge that the sacred can be destroyed in simple, unintentional, or mindless everyday acts. The sacred can be destroyed when we miss the fact that our actions are guided by arrogance, chickening out, fear, or our false selves. I saw this like a slap in the face, actually, in my um, second trip to Africa. Um, this was part of a three-year training with Maladoma Somme, and, you know, so it been years working up to this trip. We were all excited. We traveled a long, long way to get there. You know, for me, that was a lot of time zones to cross so we were tired and excited and ready to go when we went to join the people there the dog road people there um, at Maladoma's home compound for the first divination ritual that we were going to do and we went to see the ancestral it was done in front of the ancestral shrine and we were all introduced to the ancestors and you know the way was to be cleared for us and this little ritual was done and the animals were sacrificed and blah 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 happened and then the dogra people got up and walked away and all of us were standing there from america all those of us from america were standing there kind of looking left and right at each other for a cue and wondering what had just happened and all the small acts had been there but the drama wasn't the ritual was begun, it happened, and it ended, and they moved on to the next thing. And that was really a cold slap in the face to recognize that in our shamanic practices, the sacred is asking us to step up, do the deal, and move on, and not carry on with this precious blah, blah, blah drama, and oh my God, I just did a ritual, wasn't that moving, oh this, oh that that we don't understand how to engage truly with devotion, with respect, to be aware that what we are doing is moving, uh, to move venerably with those that, with energies that are venerable and to step up to that level and to not be um, pussyfooting, fastidious pussyfooting around. So this... All of these small acts are present in these indigenous cultures, but sometimes we don't notice because we draw everything so big with so much drama. And it's important to recognize that the sacred is here in all things, and we only need small acts to engage it and to begin to tend it well. So what we need to look at in this topic of the small things, the small sacred things, is what is truly sacred in our practices. And where are we just being precious? Where are we locked into form someone else has told us to do when we don't really know what we're doing? Where is the sacred in your day? 
how sacred is your practice if you decided to price your sessions so that you could make your house payments? Where is the sacredness in that exchange of energy, in the gratitude and the reciprocity? And for you as consumers, where is the sacredness in your practitioners? When you step into the space your practitioner works in, do you feel a sacred present? Is that practitioner tending the sacred? We all do it differently. I mean, I personally have a big thing I do that takes quite a bit of time, actually, before any of my clients show up and to create the space for that. And I don't do that much while they're here. I just focus on them and do the work with them. So they would not necessarily see it, but it is my intent that they would feel it. And there's a practitioner that I go to for my own shamanic healing, and she goes through the process of tending the sacred with every single client. And so you get to listen to her do that. So we're all different. The question I'm asking you as consumers is, is your practitioner tending the sacred, or are they just good at marketing? So as we talk about the sacred then, it's not, it is easy, but maybe it's not where we're so confused by so many powerful energies in our lives that seem to overrun us. I think the simple thing to do if you're wanting to look for the sacred is to notice what touches the heart and begin there. For example, if you cannot stand in your truth doing a practice, then don't do it. And that's one way to approach it. For me, in the beginning of my shamanic practice, I was still very unresolved in my relationship with my father. Bless his heart. It wasn't his fault. But I just wasn't there yet. And so I couldn't call in Father Sky without going, because I was still kind of about my own father. So I didn't. Called in the four directions and called in the earth. And that was that. And I didn't begin to call in the energy of the sky until I could do it with heart and meaning, without that little uh, inside of me, which was entirely my own stuff to resolve. And, of course, everything came into better balance when I could. But the important thing is that I waited patiently and worked on it. I didn't let it just be the truth forever. But I worked on it until I could call it in from my heart. Now, on the other hand, sometimes if you don't feel anything, you should just do it anyway. For some things, you must allow the sacredness of the practice itself to permeate your cells, to connect with the sacredness there in your own cells and begin to resonate with them and let the feeling of the sacred resonate out. So, for example, in practices like meditation practices, qigong practices, many different yoga practices, that there are many daily practices, maybe your altar practice, that these are things that you do again and again and again, cultivating a relationship with this energy and that you don't get to say, ah, it's not working for me that you need to work it and work it and work it until it is working for you. And these two things are both true. And so one of the challenges in life as we learn to work with the sacred is to decide which situation are we in. What is the right path? To let something go until I've moved to a place where I can feel it authentically or to just 
do the practice until the energies finally move at a level that I can feel them. And then the third dynamic here, because this is always a dynamic tension in our world with the sacred and the essence energies, is that sometimes you just need to do what you're guided to do by spirit, period, from your own journeys. Not what the teachers, not what the human teachers tell you to do, but to do what you're guided to do by spirit. And I know for me, I, I had to walk my own path for a while and work with my own helping spirits. And in that time, more than 50% of the time, I was asking my helping spirits, what questions should I be asking? Because I was terrified that on that path with my own helping spirits, my ego would guide me and it would all be a waste of time. And so I asked constantly of the spirits, what questions should I be asking? And then that's what I asked. And so these three things are always in a dynamic balance. You're there kind of triangulated amongst them as you begin your own work with spirit to understand how to be in relationship with the sacred. So after noticing beauty, the next thing to do would be to begin to notice where the sacred is already present and tend it there. For example... There are lots of outdoor places where the sacred is already present. In fact, most of the big power places on the planet already have a building stuck on them because people's sacred centers have been placed on sacred power spots again and again and again, tearing down one, building another again and again and again. But there are, there are beautiful sacred moments everywhere, a particular tree um, in a park, a particular beauty of a certain garden, a particular place of rocks along the river, that there are many, many moments, there are little places out in nature that are very naturally occurring that contain within them the power of the sacred. So sacredness can be innate, can be present within things. And when you find one of those places out in nature, Tend it, leave it offerings, give it thanks, sing it songs. I can't tell you how many clients I have in New York who have a walk to work or a daily walk through Central Park and they have a spot in Central Park that is this place of the sacred that they tend daily with their walk to work and their walk home. And right out there in public, they give thanks for the sacred through this place they have found that speaks to them innately of its own energy of the sacred. So, sacredness can also be found in a, an object, a, a power object, something that you might take or have as part of your practice. So, for example, it could be found, like I have a piece of coral that I use as a power object. So, it can be found in nature or it can be found in the hand of the artist who created it. And it doesn't matter the sacredness has been is innate in the thing, whether it was put there through its own self or created there through the energy of the artist. There is an amazing um, artist who creates sacred objects for shamanic work. Her name is Shiloh Sitran, S-H-I-L-O-S-I-T-R-A-N. You can Google her. She's an amazing creator of beaded objects beaded articles, rattles and things, and every single piece is 
created through a profound shamanic process. Every item has a life of its own. It is rich and saturated with the sacredness that comes through her act of creation, through the spirits moving through her to create those objects. And these objects are every bit as powerful and real as an object you might find. I have a piece of coral that looks like a woman that has been used for 20 years as the energy of the feminine and the grandmothers and that that um, yin energy, the female energy in the ancestral line. And that piece of coral has held that energy for decades now. So it has become a power object. So sacredness can be created on purpose. You can think about temples um, that are designed to house the daily acts of tending the sacred. Um, Think of a Tibetan temple that is designed for prayer space and practice space for the Qigong, meditation space, resting space. So sacredness can be called into a space by how it's designed. Um, We see this in all things. We see this in the space created for things that require repetition. So this this creating sacredness on purpose comes through mantras, through chanting, through um, working with mandalas, through our practices of yoga or meditation or qigong, through the art of the art and the discipline and the dynamic of doing something again and again and again. So we see that the sacredness can be created on purpose in all of the things that are enhanced through repetition. But keep this in mind, that principle works both ways. All things that are enhanced through repetition. So if you spend one moment at your altar each day, and then a thousand moments a day telling yourself how fat you are or how sad you are, your fat and your sadness become the sacred temple you are worshiping at. And this is something you need to get we all need to get, as contemporary people, with our minds racing all over the place. It is the repetition of our thoughts and our minds that are creating that which has power in our life. And so be very careful where you place that energy, that repetition enhances and creates sacredness. And you want to be sure you place that in something worthy of veneration and respect, not media not caffeine, not your angry, critical thoughts about yourself. These things are not worthy of veneration and respect, so be very careful what you do with your attention. There are also questions about how we cultivate the sacred together because we're all here together and what one person does in their home can, be, can impact the sacredness of another person's home space. Um, At a workshop I was just teaching, there was a big conversation because part of the people in the group felt the sacredness that was cultivated by the half of the people that did Qigong each morning together. They felt the connection. They felt the touching into each other deep and essential energies. At the same time, the other half of the people that didn't show up for morning Qigong wanted their personal space. They didn't want to have to take care of other people, that they took care of everybody every day in their life. And part of the beauty of coming to the workshop was not having to take care of people. And so there was this rift. And what's important to understand is that it does make a difference 
where you do your practice. If you do your practice in the same place every day, it is a different practice than if you do it in different places every day. And it is a different practice than if you simply do improv movement every day and you don't do a form, you know, a Tai Chi or a yoga form. And so how we do what we do does affect things. They may all be valuable outcomes. They may all cultivate sacred of one kind or another, but they're not all the same. And so this group then had to decide what it was they wanted to create and how they wanted to come together in a sacred way for the sacred work that we were engaged in. So sacredness can also get created by accident. And that's one of the most uh, delightful things in life. And that happens when a moment, usually you have to be paying somewhat of attention to it, but anyway, a moment turns into something unexpected. And you notice it. It's like a doorway or a portal almost. And you notice it and you kind of take a sharp right or left turn. And you choose to go with it. And something else entirely happens. Sometimes that noticing of the sacred becomes a portal into something different or something new. And as we've already talked about, sacredness can be found in beauty. And to know any of this in your life. Any of this I've been saying about sacredness and where it can be found and how to cultivate it, to know any of this, you must allow yourself to feel your own true vulnerability. Where you are vulnerable, weak, uncertain, insecure, there in your heart, that is where you can extend out to this sacredness. You must be willing to soften. And think of the child who lives in this state all the time. There's a weakness in childhood. You are, by definition, vulnerable, uncertain, and insecure at all times. And the child's life is visited by the sacred constantly because in that state of vulnerability, the child is so attractive to the sacred. So it is through becoming vulnerable and falling in love with the sacred that we come to tend that essence. And it's important, or, well, I believe that it is important to tend the essence of the sacred in your daily life because your soul needs you to. But to do that, first we must notice and clear that heart path to beauty and to the sacred, as I discussed in the beginning of the show. And don't be afraid. Uh, When you enter into your vulnerability, you can fall in love with the sacred. And no one has to know. You don't have to make it the grand drama, just like I was saying about Africa. It can look really normal. I know a man who is an executive in Las Vegas who carries a flask of liquor in his Armani suit jacket uh, just so that he can leave an offering to his ancestors and the spirits of the land each day outside of the building that he works in to ask for support as he walks into that great big air-conditioned corporate high-rise. Nobody knows. Everyone assumes he's just carrying a flask. You know, that's Bob. Right, But what he's doing is honoring the sacredness in his life and asking, making that offering and asking for help. So thus we engage. We choose to connect and engage with the mystery in the thing that is sacred. And in this reflection, the reflection of our own sacredness in that other out there, we engage with our deep self. And from this place of the engagement, With the true self, we gain freedom from the stories that limit and define us. This is a distancing that allows us perspective. 
So once again, we allow ourselves vulnerability. We notice the beauty in the sacred and we allow ourselves to engage with it, to give thanks for it, to connect with it, maybe leave an offering. And in that engagement, we engage with the mystery in that thing. And in that reflection, we see a reflection of our own sacredness. And in that way, we engage with our own deeper self. So from this place of engagement with your deep self, your true self, you gain freedom from the stories that limit and define you. This is the distancing that allows perspective. So back in the very beginning of the show, I said, you've got this crazy contemporary life. It's so busy. It's so fast. How could you possibly add one more thing like this ridiculous idea of honoring the sacred? This is why. Because if you do begin to honor the sacred in small things, you can get to this place, this place of engagement with your true self, and begin to gain the freedom from the stories that limit and define you. This creates a distancing that allows perspective. And you can grow open to discovering the deeper truth of who you are. In this way, you strengthen the soul and gain the courage and freedom to let the true adventure of your life unfold, no matter the environment, no matter the true nature of our contemporary world. So in that freedom, you can find the spontaneity that will lead you back again and again to the sacredness. And in this way, the sacredness in all things feeds you feeds your soul and the sacredness within you and then your soul needs the sacred and the sacred needs your soul and it's a great circle of energy that is nourishing and replenishing and rejuvenating it distances you from the drama that is going on it allows you to regain perspective it keeps you in the eye of the storm when your life is stormy so I encourage you to commit today to go out and find some. Go out and find some beauty. Find some sacredness somewhere. Just try it. Nourish the sacred in some small way. Every day for a month. Just see. Just see what could happen. And see what nourishing the sacred would allow then to blossom in your life. So thank you all for listening today. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit longer about small things. We're going to explore the small acts of power because it is these acts that collectively create the life of the spiritual adult. And that this show next week is a, is a show that is dedicated to my fourth-year students who are right now, as we speak, charged with the task of dismantling their false selves. And this is no um, cheap journey here. They are now making these small acts of power every day, sometimes several a day, to gain true freedom for their own authenticity. So next week's show, which is about the small acts of power, is dedicated to these seven brave souls who are dismantling their false selves as we speak. And this, by the way, answers a question that I get all the time, which is, what will I get out of your four-year training? Why should I bother? There are no CEUs offered and no shaman certificates. What's the point if you're not even going to train me to be a shaman? Well, the point, my friend, is you. Is your authenticity and your true soul's purpose.
process. Through the four-year training, you will learn how to know your authentic self, the skill and the skills that it takes to dismantle your false self so that you are free to do entirely what you've done come here to do and to live your soul's true purpose. And that is priceless. So I want to thank the spirits for joining us here today, the ancestors who have gathered around, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank all of you who have shared this show with another, who has shared the show with another, and the way that the word about the show goes around. I want to thank those of you who have donated through the Why Shamanism Now website and encourage you to continue to send questions, um, to engage, to leave comments about the shows, and to help the show grow rich and help it to answer the real questions that you have in your contemporary life. Because after all, why shamanism now is meant to be a practical path to your authenticity. Thank you all for joining me this week.